Hi, I'm Maddie, and I don't have a hobby. Hi, I'm Haley, and I have too many hobbies. And I've taken it upon myself to get Maddie hooked on just about anything. In this podcast, we're talking true crime. We're talking Enneagram. We're talking mental health. We're talking Scientology. And just about everything in between. So we're inviting you on a journey that you definitely didn't ask to be invited on. In the hopes that you too would like to be Average, average girls Average and only Average and only Hey everybody! Can you say hi, please? <laughs> I gotta get to my seat. By the way, I'm rocking Haley's. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. What is this? I can't even say the name. It's blasphemous. Uh, don't <laughs> even. It's my Lucky Steelers jersey. I, Maddie had the option of putting on anything in my closet, and she chose a Steelers jersey, and I'm not sure why. It's, I, it's, um, I kind of like the jersey look. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it just feels like a weird... A weird time for it. Yeah, yeah. It's my Lambert jersey. It's a, it's a good time. Mm, here it is. It's vintage, you know. Okay. Anywho, um, all right. Maddie and I are gonna play a game, but I'm trying to figure out how you okay. can kind of explain so how you ex- do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, basically, it's this game I saw on TikTok where two people, usually like close friends, they <laughs> what? I just hesitate on calling me your best friend. Well, I was gonna say it's played like only amongst best friends, but like I don't think that's true in the TikTok world, not between us. Okay. It's played with friends on TikTok or whatever, and they say like, um, if the topic is like favorite animal, then mm-hmm. while Haley's gone, I'm gonna say, okay, my favorite animal is a dog, and I think Haley's favorite animal is a cat. And then I'm gonna leave, and Haley's gonna come in and say. Maddie's favorite animal is a dog. I think Maddie's favorite animal is a dog, but mine is actually a giraffe. So, like, I could be wrong, but we're guessing on each other. Okay, and then do, do we come in at the end, and then we say, like, oh. Who did what, right? Yeah. Okay. So, do, are you, I'll leave the room first. Okay, what's the first topic? The first one's color. My favorite color My favorite color is green, and I think that Haley's favorite color is lavender. She heard me say that, I think. Okay, go in. Okay. It's just us. Um, I think that Maddie's favorite color is yellow. And I think she said my favorite color is... Oh, shoot. I think she probably said it was... No, she probably said mine was yellow. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that. I'm going to go with that. My go-to Starbucks order is a Starbucks double shot with um, classic and cream. Or if I'm feeling crazy, I do vanilla and a little bit of sweet cream. But yeah. I think Haley's favorite or her go-to Starbucks order is like an iced coffee with something in cinnamon dolce with like some some like sweet cream foam on top or something like that. Or the sweet cream cold brew with cinnamon dolce in it. But I don't know. I think that Maddie's order is... Um, I'm going to go venti cold brew with sweet cream and cold foam, I think. I know it has something to do with sweet cream. Sometimes she adds some pumps of mocha, white chocolate mocha in there, I think. I don't know. Okay. Mine is typically, she probably went with my typical, which is iced coffee, cream, sugar-free cinnamon dolce, light ice, no classic. I don't know if she got all the details on that. Okay. Okay. Our biggest argument was one time that uh, I made her 
watched the Jonas Brothers documentary and she really said that she didn't want to watch it, but I thought she was kidding. So we got into the biggest fight about it. <laughs> I think she'll say that too. Okay. For our biggest argument, Maddie is going to say that um, whenever we got into a big fight over the Jonas Brothers documentary about how I didn't want to watch it and she made us watch it anyways. I am also going to say that our biggest fight was over the Jonas Brothers documentary. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, I think my spirit animal is like a chocolate lab. And I think Haley's spirit animal is, oh gosh. I think Haley will think her spirit animal is, <laughs> she doesn't know what her own is, which is why I'm struggling too. So if we both get this correct or the same, that's going to be really funny. I think her spirit animal is... I don't want to say something corny like a lioness or something, but I'm just going to go with something like that, like a predator that's like fierce and could rip you apart, but it's also like kind of pretty. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Okay, this one's hard, but I think that Maddie's spirit animal is a koala because they're very cute and they're snuggly and they're slow. And so is she. Uh, and then mine, I think she's probably going to say that I'm, I want to say like a, like a chimp or like an orangutan because I don't know, because they're so smart and you know what? So am I. Maybe that's what she would say. Or maybe she'd say I'm like a, a certain kind of dog. She might say I'm a dog. I don't know. Okay. That's my guess. My favorite pastime is watching YouTube. And Haley's favorite pastime is reading. Maddie's favorite pastime is to watch YouTube or to, um, she'll sit there and she'll watch TV at night. That's her thing. Um, and she probably said that my favorite pastime is probably watching um, murder shows because it is. Okay. Okay. My celebrity crush is, I don't really have one. That's the issue. I think Haley's going to say that mine is Shia LaBeouf, even though he's like kind of uh, problematic. But I think she thinks that's what mine is. And I think hers is, I just want to say Juju. Maddie's, Maddie doesn't usually have celebrity crushes. She usually is actively against having celebrity crushes. But I think her celebrity crush is Timothy Chalamet, and my celebrity crush is also Timothy Chalamet. Or if she forgot that, she might have said that mine is Harry Styles because it also is. Okay, I think we're done. I think we're done. Okay, so what? Are we just going through? Let's see how many of each other's we got right. Okay, so who, what's your favorite color? My favorite color is green. Ah, oh, I almost guessed green. What did you guess? I'm so your I guess yellow. Oh, no, like sage green. Wait, that's actually my actual favorite color right now, but I kind of went with the easy wrap. Okay, I guess that your favorite color is lavender. Oh, no, I don't even really like lavender that much. <laughs> okay, what is it? <laughs> well, honestly, it's probably like sagey green. But my all-time usually is yellow, and I said you would say yellow. Oh, weird. I thought you knew me better than that, so that's kind of weird. Yeah, no, I didn't. Mm, okay. um, Starbucks order. Oh, I said yours was like a... Uh, iced coffee with cinnamon dolce and like you got the cinnamon dolce right? it was the only okay, thing I okay. thought that you would get I said that yours was either a cold brew or an iced coffee with cold with vanilla sweet cream sometimes oh. you get sometimes you get um white chocolate mocha no I never no. get white chocolate you never milk. get white chocolate but you got the sweet cream right I knew you got the I get a, a Starbucks double shot double shot I knew it was yeah. something with, that was like dark yes okay our biggest argument 
One, two, three. The, the Jonas, Jonas Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, we got into a fight one time because Maddie thought I was kidding whenever I said I didn't want to watch the Jonas Brothers documentary because it's very hard for me to watch the Jonas Brothers because they're so unattainable. And don't roll your eyes. I'm being serious. I know. It's just funny to me. And she was like, no, that's stupid. We're well, watching Well, because to me, I'm like, of course they're unattainable. Every celebrity is unattainable. And to me, it's too personal. Okay. Spirit animal. Oh my god. This was hard. This one was really hard. I, what did you say was well, I do you want to know what I said for you? Sure. I said you were a koala. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. And okay. you're cute and you're cuddly, but you're slow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you're the worst. What was that? Um, well, what did you say you were? Oh, I said that you might have said I was some sort of monkey. Oh, no, <laughs> no. Oh, I said this is very telling of what we think of each other. Actually, oh, this really? is so funny. Yeah. Um, oh. I said that I my spirit animal is like a chocolate lab. Oh, OK. And then I said your spirit animal. I was like, I don't want to be corny. I said that you would be a, like a lioness. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be corny, but like she could tear you to tear you apart. But she's also kind of pretty. Oh, that's so nice. And you think I'm slow, so. <laughs> no, but it's cute. <laughs> Maybe just like kind of goes a little slow, you know, like just just as a little. You're sleepy. Sure, sure. Um, favorite pastime. Um, I said mine was YouTube or TV, and yours was reading. Oh wow, you have a higher opinion of me than I thought. I said yours was YouTube or um or watching TV. Okay. And mine, I said that you probably said was watching murder. Oh, that was my second. But reading, yes, probably. Like documentary. Okay, and then Celebrity Crush. Um, I said that you thought mine would be Shia LaBeouf when <gasps> really it's like the even Steven Shia LaBeouf. I completely forgot. Okay, but he's problematic. But uh, I did love even Stevens. Like he was my crush for yeah. so long. Um, but then I said yours was Juju. <laughs> oh, no, Maddie, you did not get what I thought you were going to say. Oh. I know you said but I, I love Juju. You You're said right. I would guess it, and I was like, Timothy I have Chalamet. Oh, I would not guess that. I said that you don't have celebrity crushes usually, but you would probably make an exception for Timothy Chalamet. Okay, but I forgot about even Stevens. Shia yeah. LaBeouf. All right, so let's uh, uh murder. I don't know. Let's uh, I don't know murder. Okay, so this one I actually did yesterday. This whole thing, and I'm like kind of enthralled with it right now. So I figured it'd probably be a good time to do it, anyways. So I'm glad this is the one that Maddie picked when I gave her options of which one to do today. This is the Barbie and Ken Killers. Yup. Dun 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 dun. So this one, uh, okay. There's a lot of like backstory. I'm going to try to make it as short as I can because if I go into every single detail, we'll be here for three hours. Oh. And I wa I like watched a documentary I listened to a podcast yesterday on it. Literally, I like lost my mind a little bit mm -hmm. and got stuck in it for a while. And it's crazy interesting. But um, yeah, I always get interested by like double murders or like cults because it's like multiple people that manage to do the same sick thing. And like if I, like if you and I are just hanging out and like I was like, hey Maddie, you want to go like murder some people? You'd be like, no, right? But like you have to have two certain breeds of crazy that would like come together and be able to like together decide together. that they're gonna kill someone, you know? Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the story starts with a man named Paul Bernard Bernardo. Why did I? I'm already having a hard time. <laughs> Paul Bernardo is born in a suburb of Toronto in 1964. He's quiet, um, and he ends up, and but most of this is because he had to have a corrective surgery to fix like this like connective tissue thing that was wrong with his mouth. So he doesn't really talk until age five. 
Um, And he has a lot of difficulty with speech and he ends up having a stutter and he has like social problems. Mm -hmm. This is on top of the fact that his dad is abusive, mostly physically abusive towards his mother. Um, He's known to be kind of like aggressive towards the kids too, but why are you just smiling in the distance right now? (laughs) Um, That's why I think you're a koala. Um, He is regularly like pretty aggressive towards the kids, but he is physically abusive towards the mother. He regularly berates her. And he also is uh, regularly molesting the younger sister, Debbie, for years. So really toxic family environment. Um, And then social cognitive theories really tell us that he was most likely mimicking a lot of those behaviors from his dad and was probably thinking that um, this was normal. This Mm -hmm. is just like all he ever really experienced. Yeah. Everyone knew of the abuse, including the mother, who openly acknowledged the sexual abuse that was happening with her daughter and, like, resented her daughter for the sexual abuse instead of trying to protect her kid. Yeah. So as he gets older, he starts to get more attractive, and he realizes that this is, like, his pawn to get more control, where he doesn't have any control in his family. And so he starts dating a girl named Nadine Brammer, who's his first real girlfriend whenever they're both 15. Um, and around the same time that he starts dating Nadine, they get into a huge fight at the house where Marilyn, his mom, reveals that Kenneth, his dad, is not actually his biological dad. He's actually the product of um, an extramarital affair. So it really is Ken. Barbie and Ken. No, Ken's the dad. Yeah. Paul is the kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. dang it. Um, <clears throat> so while the rest of the siblings are Kenneth's kids, Paul is not. So he's the only one that isn't. So okay. it's already like kind of a crappy spot to be in so he's super resentful of his mom now and they think this is where like a lot of his inner rage kind of like stems from in yeah. general so um basically while he and nadine start dating he's becoming increasingly <coughs> bless you controlling and possessive and she ends up dumping him and she tells him you know what we're done you're too controlling and you know it jokes on you because i made out with your best friend bye so fall of 1983 paul is 19 when he reveals some of his sexual fantasies to his new college friends, as one does, you know, um, his biggest sexual fantasy is that he wants to have what he refers to as a virgin farm. He wants to have a whole. Are you holding your ear? Yeah, that was worse than I thought. Oh yeah, no, a no, virgin it, farm. He wants to have a whole farm stables of virgins that he could just have at his whim to just use. Mm-hmm. And then, what happens when they're not virgins anymore? Uh, well, I think he just, I think he wants like a conveyor belt of virgins just coming in at his whim, pretty much. Um, uh, all of his friends say that they knew that Paul thought of women in a predatory sense and not in a romantic sense. So when he wanted someone, it wasn't uh, like, oh, I want to like be with her, take her out. Like, I just want to be around her. No, it was like, I want to like abuse her. I want to use her. I want to. Yeah. <laughs> so he was known to have degraded women in bed. And he would try to seduce younger girls. Younger girls were his thing. He would threaten to kill them during sex. Two women end up filing restraining orders against him. And he decides at this point that his thing is non-consensual sex. That's what turns him on. Mm -hmm. And apparently he can't keep it up if it's consensual. Evidently. What? Mm -hmm. That's like a common thing. That's why a lot of like rapists and stuff have like they can't get off on the consensual sex. They need the like struggle. That is so traumatic. Yes. It gets – well, don't don't worry. Things get worse. Really, it gets worse starting on May 4th, 1987. Chelsea Hagen gets off the bus in Scarsboro. She's 21. She's walking three blocks home when, for 10 minutes, Paul Bernardo follows her. 
He then lunges at her, tackles her onto the sidewalk where he brutally rapes her. He only stops choking her for a quick moment so that he can so that he can have her say, you're the only man that I want. His sick fantasy is over when a porch light comes on because the girl's dad comes up to the to the door, turns on the porch light, and he runs. This is where he decides that he has this appetite for raping young women, and he becomes what is later known as the Scarborough Rapist. So we'll we'll pause there because then we have to go to the other end of the duo. So we have sadistic psycho Paul who like raised in a traumatic environment has some junk, right? So Paul's textbook, but then we have Carla Homolka. So Carla Homolka is the picturesque Canadian family in Ontario, 1970. She's born to a normal upon normal family. She has two sisters. She's the oldest. They have blonde hair, blue eyes, cute family, like real pretty. Great. Um, Carla is known as a perfectionist. She's smart and she's eager in the classroom, but her friends also know her as bossy and controlling. And in ninth grade, she hits a rebellious phase that is super uncharacteristic of her. She's super like Enneagram type one. And then all of a sudden oh. she hits this rebellious phase and like doesn't want to do that anymore. Weird. Um, she starts drinking with her friends. She's wearing different clothes. She has a preoccupation with death and Ouija boards. She becomes like a punk. And at this point, she also starts cutting. Um, her friends noticed this. They tried to ask her about it and she just shrugged it off and just said she was depressed and that was it. So a lot of this information comes from the podcast called Serial Killer from the podcast network. And it says this was more than likely another way that Carla was trying to maintain control in her life. She most likely knew that this role was one that she could perfect and it would give her some controllable attention. Mm. So her father's a traveling salesman. And Carla really resented his absence in the family. And she tries to get a rise out of her dad all the time and is like always seeking his validation. And they had a really stressful relationship where eventually they would get into these fights and he would scream and berate her and condemn her behaviors and name call her and tell her what like a piece of shit she was basically. And they think that eventually like her developmental years, this probably became like a um like she got some sort of pleasure out of me not like sexual pleasure necessarily but like a sense of satisfaction of being yelled at and berated and screamed at and name called yeah which comes back to haunt her so carla is 17 when she brags to her high school friends that she finally lost her virginity which apparently she was aiming to do for a little bit she didn't want the candle she didn't want the tenderness from this lovely man named doug as you know happens she wants bondage. She wants sadism. She wants the dark stuff. She's into it. Right Which, away. hey, I'm, I'm not going to judge you. You do your thing. But yeah. you're 17. <laughs> like, the, like, things can only really get darker from here. Mm-hmm. So Doug denies that the sex was violent, even though she tells everybody that it was and that she was, like, super into it. But he's like, no, nah, it really wasn't like that. But Carla, this basically, regard, regardless of whether or not it's true, Carla really wants that. Okay. And she wants to be degraded during sex. It's, like, her thing. So... October of 1987, Carla is invited to this, like, animal convention. She, like, wants to be a vet. And so there's this convention that's up near Scarsborough, which is where Paul lives. And this is where the two meet. Um, Carla orders a drink at the hotel bar where Paul is. And Paul is 23. Carla is 17. Yikes. Carla finds him charming and handsome, and she invites him up to her room immediately because they just, like, hit it off. Carla loves that he's domineering, he's forceful, and he loves that she's young and submissive. And so that night, Carla tells him that she loves him while they're in the middle of this, like, passionate, sadistic sex. Gross. She leaves her phone number, and then this is the start of a passionate love affair that ends in the murder of three women. Dun, 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 dun. 
So at this point, Carla does not know that Paul's a rapist, let alone the Scarsborough rapist who has been going around raping women for the past couple of months. She just thinks that their sex is aggressive and passionate and she loves it. But their relationship moves on pretty quickly. He meets her parents within the first week. Um, and then, and Carl's parents like him. He's super charming. And like, if you look at pictures, you can look at a picture right now of them if you want. They, they're like a very good looking couple. And we'll post a picture What's of it name? on the Instagram. Uh, but you just type in Barbie and Ken Killers and they'll come up. Um, I don't feel like spelling it out. So yeah, basically he's handsome. He's an accountant. He's charming. He's goofy, like gets along with her family. All is well in the world. Carla is totally smitten. And in the period of a couple of weeks, Carla's parents are letting him sleep there on the couch. But, of course, he's sleeping in her room once everyone goes to bed. So, see, they're, like, very normal. Yeah, they do look normal. Yeah. And, he like, they just look whatever, you know? Very, like, 80s couple. 80s, 90s couple. Okay, so, um, Paul, it starts to become more and more controlling as abusive partnerships usually are. He wants her hair long and natural, so she grows it out. She stops getting a perm because he tells her that her perm looks ugly and stupid. She exchanges her punk clothes for preppier ones because those are the ones he liked. She starts eating healthy at his request. She bends to his every will, um, which she likes because she likes being submissive. And he likes because he wants someone to do everything that he asks them to do. Um, And he says that when she behaves well, she can be rewarded with gifts, fancy dinners, sex, affection, praise. And he tells her straight up, like, you'll be rewarded. Um, So it's clearly some sort of narcissistic control. Now, his affection is constantly fluctuating with her. He would shame her constantly for not being a virgin and would insist that she perform crazy sexual acts to please him because she wasn't a virgin, so she owed him. Ew. Mm -hmm. Um, Her friends from school are really confused about their relationship, and all of their fears are confirmed whenever they find a note in Carla's room, in Carla's handwriting, but they think that it's possible that Paul had her dictate what he was saying. Mm. Um, So the note says... Never let anyone know that our relationship is anything other than perfect. Don't talk back to Paul. Always smile when you're with Paul. Be a perfect girlfriend to Paul. If Paul asks for a drink, bring him one quickly and happily. Remember you're stupid. Remember you're ugly. Remember you're fat. I don't know why I tell you these things because you never change. What? How sick. Remember you're stupid. Mm -hmm. Remember you're ugly. Remember you're fat. Mm -hmm. Which she's none of those. No, she's none of those things. She might have been stupid. Well, trust me, it gets crazier. He just completely has her mind controlled. And I think she was already in a super vulnerable position anyways. And I'm not going to paint her as the victim in any of this because she 100% turns out not to be. But in the beginning, I think she was. In the beginning, she's, like, been completely swept up in this, like, intermittent reinforcement. Yeah. And he, like, has managed to have this narcissistic control over her that just kind of, like, he sinks his teeth in. Yeah. So, um, Carla's desperately in love at this point, and Paul is just doing whatever he wants. And so he had stopped raping women in Scarborough after he met Carla, but only for a really short period of time. He eventually has the same urge again. And so that December, after he meets her, um, he also finds a 15-year-old Sherry Sykes who's walking home from the bus when Paul grabs her. He rapes her. I'm not going to like go into crazy detail on it, but it's really graphic. Sherry ends up giving a police description that leads to a warning and a sketch being put out in the area to warn women. One of Paul's exes reports that Paul's a good suspect to police and says, like, he was violent with me. You should look at him. But no one follows up on the lead. Um, Paul ends up raping six more women without Carla knowing that he's raping anyone. Mm. Um, and at the time, Carla's too busy trying to be completely submissive to him. She's doing anything she can to make him happy. 
Um, and then this becomes drastically evident when Paul sets his statistic sights on someone new, despite all of the work that Carla's putting in to make him happy. And that girl is Carla's 15-year-old sister, Tammy. So in the event that you're dating someone, let's not make this example, Corey. You're dating someone, a random, who tells you, hey, your little sister, I want to have sex with her. Your response is what? I'm freaking out. Right. No way. Yeah, right. You would think. So Paul makes no secret of to Carla that he like is into her little sister. In fact, he's blatant about it. And Carla isn't jealous. In fact, Carla wants Paul to be happy no matter what. She wants to satisfy his every need. And Ew, this gives her, wow. I think, a bit of control where she can say, like, oh, let me, like, organize it for you. Because you're going to like her anyways. So let me set it up so you can have exactly what you want. And then you, you'll you love me because I gave you what you wanted. Ew. Right. Wow. So she ends up breaking the blinds in Tammy's room so that Paul can watch her change at night. But that's not enough for him. He wants more. So he pressures Carla saying that she owed him Tammy's virginity because he couldn't have hers. Oh. So they come up with a plan. So July 24th of 1990, Carla smashes up Valium tablets that she stole from the job at the vet. She slips those tablets into her sister's food. So that night they're eating dinner together. Tammy gets really tired and decides to go to bed early. And that's whenever Paul goes inside her room while Carla watches the door. But Tammy ends up stirring in her sleep. And so that spooks Paul because he thinks she's going to wake up. He runs out of the room and berates Carla for not giving her enough Valium. And for the next year, he's just always slamming into Carla, telling her what a piece of shit she is. She ruined everything. She ruined his fantasy. She never makes him happy. She never does enough. And so this is in what well, this is July. Okay. So it wasn't a year. It was like six months. In December, they decide they're going to try again. It's December 23rd. Paul has dinner with the Homolka family as usual after Carla's parents and their sister Lori go to bed. Tammy stays awake to watch a movie with Paul and Carla in the basement. Oh, okay. Sorry, you're being weird. Um, so while Paul and Tammy are getting comfortable to watch the movie, um, Carla is going upstairs and she's preparing. They think that she's just making drinks for them. Well, I'm sorry, Tammy thinks they're just making drinks. Yeah. But what she's doing is mixing rum into their eggnog and then adding animal tranquilizer to her sister's drink. Animal tranquilizer? Mm -hmm. She didn't want to be to blame if something goes wrong this time, so she puts in a lot because last time he got on her because she didn't put in enough. So Tammy passes out during the movie and Paul wastes absolutely no time. They uh, get a video camera, Carla videotapes, and he rips off Tammy's clothes. Mm. To make sure that her sister stayed asleep, Carla held an anesthetic drenched washcloth to Tammy's face, like just in case she were to wake up. Um, they actually take turns sexually assaulting her. Paul gave Carla instructions to assist in her sister's rape as well, some of which she hesitated to but eventually did comply. Uh, at one point, he, like, turns off the video camera to yell at Carla because she's, like, hesitating to, like, do anything to her sister. Oh and then eventually gosh. she she does because he asks her. Your to. own sister? Yeah. Like. Mm -hmm. So at some point, Tammy starts vomiting and choking. And, and, like, you could see it on the video. Obviously, the video isn't, like, around. I don't want to watch it if it were. I'm sure in the dark web somewhere maybe, but I'm not going to go sifting. Uh, Tammy starts vomiting and choking. The two attempt to clear her throat and revive her, but she chokes on her own vomit and she stops breathing. Now, Paul is fuming because this whole thing is Carla's fault. Obviously. What the hell? So, it's Christmas Eve, early morning hours of 1990, and it's not super festive because Paul and Carla are freaking out. They move Tammy into Carla's bedroom, 
and that's whenever they call 911. It's around 1.20 a.m. when police and an ambulance come. Obviously, the whole family wakes up because of the commotion, and Carla just tells them that Tammy wasn't breathing. She says that they had watching a movie, they were drinking, and that Tammy was laying down and must have vomited and choked on it. Police ask the same thing. They stick to that story, and Tammy dies in the hospital. Oh, my gosh. So back at the house during questioning is when they um, get word that Tammy died. This is like when they find out whenever the police are questioning them and the police have to tell them. Lori, the older sister, goes running upstairs crying and the investigator follows after just to check on her. Well, this leaves Carla downstairs alone for a minute and she takes that time to rush over to hide the stuff in the laundry room and hide the anesthetic in the cupboard. And she throws the linens in the machine. The investigator comes downstairs pretty soon after and he thinks that it's weird, but he doesn't think it's necessarily suspicious. He thinks it's like a coping mechanism, like a weird response to someone dying like weird stuff like like all i need to start cleaning the house yeah but no one suspects foul play because at this like it didn't seem like a suspicious thing necessarily sure um so the coroner finds that the skin around tammy's mouth was tinged pink he thinks it looks like it was from a chemical burn but he ends up chalking it up to maybe she it was the acid from her stomach and whenever she vomited it must have like stayed on her mouth and burned it a little like it wasn't super significant it was probably because she didn't put it to tammy's face yet She was holding it over her face in case she woke up. Um, And so somehow they managed to get away with it without anybody really questioning them. The only evidence that they really have to be careful of, though, is the video. Because they literally have a video of the entire thing happening. Yeah. But Paul can't bring himself to delete the video. Of course. He loves watching it. He blames um, Carla for Tammy's death and tells her that if she doesn't start complying with his demands, he's going to tell everyone that she killed Tammy on her own. So that's whenever he starts to not just be crazy emotionally he's abusive, like but also her. physically abusive towards her because now he can be. And um, Paul now gets a new twisted fantasy now that Tammy's dead. He wants Carla to role play as Tammy. And so Ooh, when they have sex, they're like recording her dressed in her sister's clothes on her sister's bed, pretending to be her sister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm oh not gosh. even going to finish the rest of that. So... Carla is the one who gets the idea that they should, if Paul wanted more virgins, they should just abduct abduct young girls in the summer. What? Mm -hmm. And I think that this was her idea of like, uh, this is how I'm going to stop. I won't have to role play as Tammy anymore. Is like if he just has an actual virgin. Gross. Yeah. So Paul at this time, clearly with all the romance going on, proposes to her. And in January of 1991, they move in together. He forces Carla to sleep on the floor. The sex becomes more violent, and he beats her regularly. Oh he, the thing is, he wants to violate Carla because that's what he gets off on, and he wants to, like, make her do things, but she's just letting him, so he's not getting off on it because oh, she's so submissive. No fight. Right. Ew, so it's the summer of 1991. He, they invite a friend over, um, but she never goes named in any of her, like, testimonies or anything. She comes over, gets food and wine with them. They then manipulate her into sexual games. Uh, Carla convinces her to perform oral sex on Paul. Um, on one occasion, they drug her and has Paul rape her after she passes out. The friend never knows this until later. She said she just felt sore the next day and didn't put two and two together until later on once everything came to light. Ugh. So June 15th, Paul sees a 14-year-old on the doorstep of her family home. Her name is Leslie Mahaffey. She is dreading knocking on the door because she missed curfew. So she's standing there without her key, just like waiting to delay the inevitable because she has to like tell her parents that she came in past curfew and explain herself. So she's just dreading it Mm -hmm. like a normal 14 year old when Paul 
comes up, drives up next to her, offers her a cigarette and lures her into the car. He pulls a knife on her and then maneuvers the girl in, um, makes her put on a blindfold, and then he takes her back to his house. How freaking terrible. <laughs> Carla's sleeping upstairs. Carla wakes up hours later and he tells her what's going on. And she's not mad about the entire thing. She's mad because uh, he's letting her drink out of their wedding china glasses. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she waits upstairs, spends the rest of the day while he is torturing the 14-year-old girl downstairs. Um, he then takes the girl at the end of the day upstairs where he asks Carla to make drinks for the three of them. Um, Carla notices that Leslie's really out of touch re- with reality at this point because she's been being tortured all day. And um, she told her that she wanted to go home, but she obviously was just ignored at that point. Paul brings out the video camera, and then that's when he and Carla do their thing. Ugh, I'm, I'm physically nauseous as I'm saying. We're gonna have to put a huge trigger warning. Literally. On this um, 24 hours after he's still not exhausted, he orders Leslie to praise him and having her parrot back lines to him. Um, so they think at this point, if it's not obvious, he has narcissistic personality disorder. He also has the most severe form, which is the malignant narcissistic personality disorder, um, where you literally have no like no care for the rights of others and like go out of your way to be sadistic and harm other people. And you get like a sexual pleasure out of it. So Paul leaves the girl on the floor uh, with Carla. Carla completely ignores her. Um, And Paul explains to Carla that Leslie might've seen his face. So he needs to kill her to protect them both and tries to play this like martyr role. And she doesn't argue, but she does suggest that they sedate the girl so that she won't feel anything. Paul later claims that Carla's the one that gave the lethal, lethal dose of sleeping pills, but Carla, however, claims that Paul's the one who strangled the girl with an electrical cord. Oh. Um, the next day, they host a Father's Day dinner party with Carla's parents while the girl's still downstairs. Then they go afterwards to pick up concrete mix um, where they cement different parts of her body into, like, hunks of cement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that it'd be easier to dispose of and so that it would be harder to identify. Um, and they just dump her in a nearby lake. Then the next couple of days, they prepare for their wedding. And on June 29th, the night before their big day, a couple comes across the concrete blocks in nearby Lake Gibson, half submerged in mud. They find the body parts that are later identified as Leslie. Oh. <laughs> yup. I know. It's disgusting. But... Paul and Carla are busy getting married when the news breaks, so they don't really care. They're just doing their thing. Tammy is not mentioned at all in their wedding per Carla's request, except for one part in the toast. She didn't want her parents. She said it was taking too long for her parents to get over Tammy's death. So they honeymoon in Hawaii, and police are identifying Rosie's body at the same time. They get back from their honeymoon where Carla suddenly starts to become a little bit more jaded about Paul now that they're married. She later says, I either wanted to be totally away from him or I wanted him to love me. She writes letters to Paul saying that she wants their love back, that she loves him, that she wants their spark. But Paul doesn't care, never writes her back a letter, never says anything because he doesn't care about her. He's outwardly cheating on her. Um, He has her pretend to be his sister when he invites women over. His sister? Mm -hmm. Why? He tells everybody, oh, yeah, I live with my sister. And she just lets him do it. And, you know, now she's like Stockholm Syndrome. So, She loses some of her willing attitude and begins to resent him, but he's physically and emotionally abusive. So now she's just scared. Mm -hmm. And April 16th, 1992, Paul is 27 at this point. Carla's 22. 
They spot 13-year-old Kristen French walking near a church. Carla rolls down the window to ask the girl for directions, and that's when they both manage to manipulate her and overpower her into the car. Paul does the same thing with Kristen that he did to Leslie, and I'm not even going to go into all of it. Forces her to drink alcohol, uh, invites Carla into the room. He didn't have her wear a blindfold, so clearly they had a feeling they knew where this one was headed. They were going to kill her the whole time, but the sad thing is they were telling her the whole time that if she just did these things, she'd get to go home. Um, at one point, they even had her sit down in front of the TV to watch the footage of her missing persons case. So, like, she's watching everybody go looking for her, her dad begging her to come home, all of these things. They let her watch it. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. So they kept her for a while. Yeah. A they lot. kept both of the girls for three days. Oh. Um, she attempts to escape at one point, And whenever Carla catches her, she beats her with a rubber mallet. Carla was alone with the girl at one point for a few hours while he went out and ran errands. And she didn't help her. So Carla, as much as you want to be like, wow, she's a battered woman, yes. To an extent, yes. And then to a certain she's, extent. Yeah, no. she's wrapped up in all of that. Right. Like if he gets caught, she gets caught. Exactly. Um, and I think part of her may got, have originally gotten a sick pleasure from it. At this point, I don't know. But for, at the beginning, I, I don't know. I don't know. So um, they end up strangling her with an electrical cord after he gets bored with having her. They shave her head. Uh, but they don't dismember her because it didn't help the first time. So they're like, whatever. They end up just dumping her body in a ditch about 20 miles away. They say that Paul wanted her body found because he was proud of it. And it's like, hey, you haven't even caught me now. And I'm the Scarsboro rapist. So jokes on you guys. Ew. Yeah. Uh, hate this guy. So April 30th, two weeks later, her body is discovered in the ditch. Paul never seems worried about the media coverage. He's been interviewed in the Scarborough rape cases, though, and he's charmed his way out of it. So he's like, nah, I'm good. Whatever. May 12th, 1992. The police come knocking on Paul's door. They think that there might be a link between the two cases. So they're checking back with anyone they interviewed in those cases just to see. And they have Paul's DNA because he gave his DNA back then. But it had just sat in police custody just just waiting. Because they don't test it unless they have reason to test it. And he was a good, like, had an alibi, quote unquote, for things. Like, they didn't really suspect him. And they had interviewed, like, 200 people. They weren't going to test 200 DNA samples. Yeah. So... Um, Paul notices that the detectives are looking at photos from him, his and Carla's wedding. So he's like playing up on that, about this happy marriage card. And you really don't have any reason to suspect him. Sure. I mean, like if you're police and there's like this happily married man who just got married a couple months ago, this very, like, he's an accountant, like you would have no reason. Sure. So, um, he tells Carla after they leave that he knows that he's never going to get caught. And uh, Carla at this point says that she just wanted him to get caught because she, she can't do it anymore. She just doesn't want to be around him ever. And she starts sleeping in the guest bedroom. So one night she calls her father in secret to come pick her up. She'd had enough. And when Paul finds out he berates her and is screaming and yelling at her, she rushes out of the room as her father arrives, leaving all of her things behind. She comes back to get her clothes in the next couple days and Paul is waiting for her and he calmly explains to her that if she ever leaves again, he will tell her parents the truth about what happened to Tammy. So she'll have nobody. Um, She lies to her parents and says that she and Paul had resolved their issues, but of course the abuse just became worse after that. Yeah. So uh, December 27th, Paul beats Carla severely with a flashlight, like to the point that she almost dies. He ties an electrical cord around her neck And she, like, literally was inches from death. Um, But the event is, like, really shaking for her. Because now that it's happening to her, it matters. So, Mm -hmm. a week later, he, um, her boss notices the intense bruises on her face after a couple days that she had taken out sick. 
and Carla tells them she was in a car accident, but one of her colleagues calls Carla's parents anyways to let them know that they're really worried. Her mother takes her to the hospital, and after three days of medical attention, she moves in with her aunt and uncle. Um, and over those next couple of days, she's able to kind of consider everything that's gone on. And so February of 1993, she turns Paul in for the murders of Jasmine and Leslie, as well as herself. So she admits that she had something to do with it, but she also is playing up on the battered woman card. So February 13th, she takes a plea. If she testifies against Paul, she'll get 10 years for manslaughter. And so four days later, uh, Paul's arrested too. He admits to the kidnapping and the rape, but he says that Carla's the murderer, that Carla was like jealous and she killed them and blah, 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 blah. Um, so that's whenever they test his DNA also for the Scarborough rapist cases on top of everything else. And they all match. So he has, and I don't, I actually don't have the number on here, but I'm pretty sure it's like upwards of like 30 rapes. Um, he is a serial rapist already. So clearly he isn't the best character witness to saying that he didn't kill these young girls too. Um, Carla spends several months at a psychiatric hospital where she comes clean also about Tammy. And they don't know if this is like a self-preservation thing. Like she just wanted to get ahead of it before it came out. Or if it was like she finally had time away from this abusive relationship to just like own up and she was getting psychiatric help. I don't yeah. know. Um, but Carla's sentence is then extended only by two years. And she gets for 12 all years. Of that, mm -hmm. For murdering what, five? Three. Oh, three people. One of them being her sister. Like, what, as a parent, what the hell do you do with that? She only got 12 years. Mm -hmm. So, Paul. Still to this day, he's in prison. He feels no guilt towards anything. He wants to plead not guilty, but his lawyer turns in videotapes of the assaults because they find them. Carla has immunity, so she's fine no matter what they find on those tapes. But Paul doesn't have immunity, so it just gets worse and worse once people find these tapes. So he's charged and sentenced to life in prison. He'll be away for forever, even though he was eligible for parole in 2018, but all of his requests have been denied. Yeah. And they'll continue to be denied because he's actually disgusting Crazy. disgusting oh so i don't know sometimes i want to like go on this big rant about like abusive parents and how like everyone just breeds zero killers but i also like what the fuck man <laughs> you know yeah like it's, it's so awful. disgusting it's horrible i and that is the barbie and ken killers they're terrible people yeah they're not good people for sure Oh, the whole thing from start to finish is a stomachache. Exactly. And I don't know, like, part of me, and but here's the other thing. Carla Hamalka is, like, out in, a, in roaming Canada right now. Oh. She's out. Wow, I didn't think about that. Yeah. She's just, like, out doing her thing. And I'm wondering, like, I wonder, I don't think anyone knows if she has a relationship with her family. Like, what would that, like, as where a parent, she's at what do you now? do? I don't know. And I'm sorry, I'm not hiring Carla Hamalka. You know what I mean? Like, how do you ever, ever get it? Oh, God, it's just so disgusting. And I don't, oh, God. And I want to believe that I'm never going to be the kind of person that would be manipulated into a relationship like that. And granted, I don't think I'm predisposed to be in a relationship. <laughs> Obviously not like that at all. Clearly. Mm -hmm. But, like, I think she had a lot of things that predisposed her to this situation. And then she bought into, yeah, uh, it's, it's just too much, too much. What, are you looking up what's happening with her now? Yeah. Like, is she remarried? I have no oh idea. Oh my gosh, she did get remarried. She got remarried? What? In 2007. Ew. She's still married to. Now living a totally normal life with her husband and new three kids. Three kids? 
How do you explain that to your kids? Oh, God, that you raped your sister. Yeah. Now living a totally normal life in Canada. God. I have no idea. I don't know. I think there's a lot of different ways you can look at this one, which is the weird thing. Like, a lot of different ways, but at the end of the day, it's also, like, it's, like, it's black and white, but it's not. I don't think, had she not gone to that freaking conference, like, would she have been in this position? I don't know. Because she was really into that kind of, like, dark kind of stuff anyways. But a lot of people are. A lot of people are. And they're not murderers. Yeah. like Like, I don't care what you do in bed. I don't. Do what you need to do. I don't care. But there's like for sure a line. Oh uh, yeah, I'm so. I saw a TikTok one time that was like, I think my first red flag should have been whenever he asked me to play dead. And oh. I was like, yeah, probably. But like, Ooh. but that's what I'm saying. Like, if you know your kink is non-consensual, non-consensual, non-consensual sex, like start going to therapy before it buds because it's gonna become something worse. Yep. And like, I know that's an embarrassing thing, but like. There, there's people that specialize in that kind of thing. Yeah. In 20 or 2006, I almost said in 2006. Oh my God. Um, she tried to have her name changed, but her request was denied. Really? And then in 2007, when she got married, she gave birth to a baby boy, but social services did not intend to automatically scrutinize her because of her past. So she worked and volunteered at the school where her children were at. What? But she's a felon. Yeah, what? They let her do that? Yeah. However, as of 2020, she's living alone without her children or husband. I wonder what happened there. I don't know. I wonder, I hope that they at least have her as a sex offender. Yeah. I mean, there's there's people that were like caught peeing out in an alleyway somewhere that are sex offenders. And you mean to tell me that that girl can volunteer? Volunteer and schools yeah she literally helped kidnap a 13 year old what that's bizarre yeah bizarre whatever so i'll post some pictures of it um also the weird thing too is that tammy i'll post up another picture of tammy tammy looks like a small version of her sister Mm -hmm. it's it's disgusting tammy the one that says my bills are paid yeah yeah yeah, my bills are paid i forget what the rest of it is Something about my bills. My bills are paid. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a different note. That's a lighter note to the Tammy. That would be my 600-pound life, Tammy, not yeah, this not Tammy. Tammy Walcott. That's very young. I know. It's very sad. Um, So, yeah, if a guy um controls you, just think of him as a murderer, serial rapist, and then text us. And, and then we'll text us, and I'll pick you up. I don't care where you are. Me either. <laughs> well, if your friends are in Seattle. I'm like – I can everybody. Fly home for I'll free. be on my way. Yeah, wait. We both are. It'll hey, take me works. eight hours to get to you. Yeah, actually, um, just call an Uber. Drive time, but just call an Uber. But we'll stay on the phone. <laughs> I'm alarmed. Yeah, this is. Uh, if you're watching this episode, he was you can an See my face the whole time. If you're not, I'm silently mm-hmm. creating wrinkles in my forehead because it yeah. makes me want to throw up. Hey Viva, can you schedule me an appointment? Viva now. I've given myself a few wrinkles during this episode. Horrible. Horrible. Okay, well, um, hope everyone has, what, a good day? Yeah, how do you end something like this? We do this every time. Yeah, I don't know why we keep doing this. I don't know, should we stop? Yep. All right, this will be our last episode. <laughs> good night. Signing off, goodbye. Average and
ってる。